Hi, welcome to the Mother's Guide Through Autism podcast. This podcast is to inspire, support, and build community for mothers raising children with autism. I'm Bridget Shipman, the host and creator of the Mother's Guide Through Autism. This podcast has been inspired by my son, Joseph, who has been living with autism for the past 28 years. Today, I'm speaking to Nancy King. Nancy has worked with children with challenging behavior since 1992. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology, is a licensed psychological associate LPA, and a certified trainer of the Nurtured Heart Approach. She has extensive training and experience with autism spectrum disorders and a wide variety of behavior issues. Nancy worked in public schools for 14 years as a behavior specialist, a licensed specialist in school psychology, and an administrator in special education. In 2004, she became the founder and director of Behavior Plus, where her team specializes in teaching social skills, providing tutoring to children, providing workshops, and parenting classes for parents. In 2008, Nancy published The Cup Kid, Parenting a Child with Meltdowns, and in 2013, I'm a Cup Kid, the workbook. Nancy continues to consult with school districts and presents at conferences at the local, state, and national level. Participants at Nancy's workshops also remark on the practicality of the information she presents, her down-to-earth manner and her ability to connect with her audiences. Wow, what a beautiful bio, Nancy. Welcome to Mother's Guide Through Autism. I'm so excited to have you on our show. Thank you so much, Bridget. I am excited myself. I love the opportunity, any chance I get it, to talk to people about strategies and practical ways to make their lives better. That's my thing. Well, it is obvious um, just in the little time that you and I have gotten to know each other as, as we have connected and discussed what it is that you do, what you're offering, and what a wonderful fit you are for moms listening out there. We're, we're going through a really hard time right now because as we're recording this, we are getting ready to start a school year 2020 with so many challenges, whether your kid is on the autistic spectrum or not, this is a challenging time. So I think the timing is perfect to talk about what it is that you do and all the skills and tools that you have to offer parents today. Well, thank you. I uh, am talking to, I, as you said, I've worked for school districts for a long time and um, just retired in June. So I have been quite sympathetic and empathetic um, about all my colleagues that are going back and trying to figure out what this year is going to look like. So you're right. It's a, it's a very trying time. And especially if you have a child who has special needs. Exactly. So let's get started. Let's talk about your background and your experience working with the autistic community. Okay. I started out in with a business career and decided that just really wasn't where my heart was. And so I got my master's in uh, clinical psychology and, and wound up working for a local school district. 
and that was early 90s. And by mid 90s, we were starting to see a rise in our population of students that had autism. And at that time, there was, you know, schools weren't doing very much about that unless you were qualified to go into the more functional um, program that we had for kids that had um, cognitive disabilities as well. So we've got all these children, they're having difficulties in their general ed classrooms and we're not doing very much about that. So the district had the foresight to select nine people and they put us in a room and said, figure out what we need to do, how you're going to do it and what you're going to call yourself. So wow, <laughs> we had great fun with that, but oh my goodness, what a blessing that was and what an opportunity because we had teachers, um, we had speech pathologists, behavior specialists, assessment people, occupational therapists. I mean, it was wonderful. So we had all of the people with the right expertise in the room and from all the different levels, you know, early childhood all the way through high school. And so they, um, we figured out kind of what we felt like needed to happen. And they started sending us to trainings and we got so much training from all of the top experts at that time, you know, people from North Carolina with teach and just, I mean, just all kinds of people. Um, and it just, was a great thing. We And so my part of that, I was behavior specialist for the district. And so my part was to, when the child was really having specific behavior problems, to work with whoever, whatever other member of the team was doing that. And to, so I was a liaison between the school and the parents sometimes, or um, doing staff development, parent training, those sorts of things. So it was just really a great time of learning and uh, kind of being in when schools were really just starting to to wake up a little bit to the needs that were there. But what happened with me over the course of that time was that there were so many kids that I was working with that the kids are the schools are meeting their academic needs, but these kids had huge deficits in their ability to connect with people, to read people, to anticipate what people were going to say or do, or, you know, those kinds of things, taking other people's perspectives. And what I started to realize is that we're educating these students. They're going to grow up. Many of them are going to be able to go to college and successfully graduate, but they are not going to be able to hold a job. They'll get a job, but they don't have the social skills to be able to keep a job. And that was back at the time where we were recommending to people, you know, if your kid's on the spectrum, it'd be a good engineer or a computer programmer or a researcher, you know, because there were places and jobs you could get where you didn't really have to be that good with people. They were going to put you in a cubicle and let you do your thing kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah. most people were doing at that time. But then things started moving more toward working as teams, corporations started having teams doing stuff. So there was no, there's not so much, and it's still true today, where you get to work in your cubicle by yourself. There's still a lot of team building. So um, I quit my school district job to start Behavior Plus with the idea that we would provide social skills training for kids, perhaps on the spectrum, but not required to be, but there's people that had a hard time doing people. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've been doing 
um, for the last 16 years, I guess. And it's just, it's been wonderful. I mean, some of our kids are just, they've gone on to, you know, they do have jobs and it's just, it's just been wonderful to watch them grow and to see, but I mean, bless their hearts. We have kids that, you know, at first maybe don't even realize that other people are thinking about them, right? They don't have yeah. that ability to even understand. I should, I should probably not pick my nose while I'm standing here talking to this person because they're going to have some thoughts about that. And so, you know, we were, we really worked with a lot of those kinds of things. And, and I do a lot of speaking engagements as well, as you said, and, um, Kind of a highlight about that, I got to speak at the National Autism Society of America conference three years ago, I guess. It was right before I went back to working in the school district again, but that was really cool. That was kind of my, it's like, ah, <laughs> I made it to a national level conference. So that was, that was really cool. So that's kind of my background and my experience. And I just, I have a heart for these kids. I love kids that are on the spectrum. Yes, they are also my heart because I, I live with one, <laughs> um, yeah. but also from the educational um, side of things, what I noticed when I was in the classroom is that when they're ready for employment, what I, what I heard so much was they don't have any soft skills. So I think as an educator, you can really incorporate those soft skills in, in the education classroom, you know, uh, for all kids and uh, it benefits all of them. But I really, really saw the benefits that my son in particular gained from everything that you're talking about. What is your mission at Behavior Plus? And then let's hit the, hit the practicality tools. Okay. Well, I, um, named that company Behavior Plus because it's Behavior Plus anything else that comes up that we want to do. <laughs> it's kind of where that came from. But I mean, we're about helping people, mm. about, you know, finding children who need help. And in my my particular interest is helping the grown-ups of those children. Um, I have a great team of talented, brilliant women um, that worked there with me at Behavior Plus. It's just been so awesome to pull that team, excuse me, pull that team together and and really just let them do what their gift is, what they're great at doing. So one of our, the big focus is social skills groups. We use Michelle Garcia Winner's social thinking, which is when people think social skills, they usually think manners and that's a part of it, but we're really helping kids learn how to think about what other people are thinking and to think about what other people are thinking about them. Mm. Because that's the piece that our kids on the spectrum, that's where their deficit is. That's, a, that's I believe, their biggest deficit is their innate ability to be thinking about what other people are thinking and to use that information to monitor their behavior and to change their behavior when they need to. And so I have hired, for the most part, teachers, special ed teachers, because those are people, number one, they know autism in all of its forms, and they know how to use those teaching moments like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. now, I mean, when I was one of, I, I no longer am a coach of a, one of the social skills groups, but when I was coaching the groups, I would, you know, get my lessons planned out and I'd have all these things that we wanted to do. And then the kids would arrive 
and the first kid opened his mouth and start talking about something. And I'm like, shift gears immediately because here's my lesson. Yes. Yes. My lesson just walked in the room and what I had planned to do, we will do another time, but it's the having the ability and people that are in there that can think on their feet and can take, Oh, that happened to you at school today. Okay. Well, let's unpack that and let's see what happened. I mean, that really is the, the cool thing there. So um, we're really working to, help kids and not just kids on the spectrum because we have a lot of kids that don't have that diagnosis, but just help kids learn the skills that they need to be able to do people and to be able to keep a job when they get one and to maintain meaningful relationships. So many of our kids on the spectrum have acquaintances, but not always good relationships because they don't keep kids long enough. They don't maintain those relationships long enough. And a lot of that is that perspective taking piece. So all of that just works together in that. But that's really that's really our main focus. I also teach parenting classes. I do behavior consultations with parents as well. And then um, I do my my public speaking just because I'm trying my best to make more people aware of the needs and the incredible talents that our kids on the spectrum have, mm-hmm. and, and to make people aware that. We need to be utilizing those talents. So that's pretty much what we're working with. Yeah, and and that's a lot. I mean, and everything that you were talking about, uh, you know, I can connect with because I remember when Joseph was in that, you know, where he would just start a conversation and it was completely one-sided. And I remember this and I, you know, so I think you're you're hitting all those essential parts that our kids need to be able to really just have a happy life because my son is social. He just doesn't know how to be social. And now he has, you know, of course, using all the tools, everything that you're talking about, he he's doing very well, but there there's still room to grow. So I love, I love what you guys are doing. I'm really excited you know, we were talking uh, about the practicality tools that you offer parents. So any mom listening out there right now uh, is probably at the edge of their seat with the notebook because we need practicality tools to help our kids at home and also to work with the school district, right? So tell us about your book, The Cup Kid, and discuss how to change um, behavior. So can you talk about the book, the fillers, just, just lay it out there for us. Okay. All right. Well, as I, as you mentioned, I was a behavior specialist in a school district, um, for a number of years. And, um, I had, well, let me back up just a little bit because behavior specialists, typically your, your traditional training teaches you, you look for an antecedent, which is the trigger that causes the behavior. Then you have the behavior and then you have consequences. You know, what is it that happens after the behavior that makes the kid want to do that again, that behavior again? And that's true. Those behavior principles are, you know, that's true and affects all of us. But I had a bunch of students on the autism spectrum that that pat little formula was not working so well. I mean, the, the trigger was something different every day for the behavior that they were having that was causing so much trouble. And so 
I had just was struggling with that. And then also I had three or four kids that had become significant pieces of my caseload because they were those kids that the, it wasn't a cut and dried thing. And so we had one particular little boy, he was in the second grade and oh my gosh, we had had so many meetings with his mom and dad. And it, it just, he was a smart little guy and he was liked school and, but had autism and just was really struggling with some stuff. And what was happening every year around January, he'd start getting aggressive. And so we were working and working with that and trying to figure out what to do. And I was in a discussion. We were What we were hoping to do was to get mom and dad to let us take him out of the general ed classroom for about 15 minutes in the morning and another 15 minutes in the afternoon because he was just, my thought was he's just getting so overloaded, sensorily so overloaded. We got to get him out and let him chill for a little while. And they just weren't having any of that. Mm-hmm. And it was in a meeting with his mom. I said, I can just sit and watch him fill up. Mm-hmm. It's just like he's a little cup. And I just, you can see the irritation and the agitation build in him. And then it runs over and he hits somebody and then he gets out of the classroom. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, as I'm talking about that to her, her eyes got big and she said, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have seen him do that. And so we went on and worked through that and that became a success story. But, but the, for me personally and the cup kid, it was like, that was a good analogy. I started Mm -hmm. playing with that and I started talking to other people about it, talking to teachers that had cup kids and, and other parents that had cup kids and just, it worked. People got it. They understood it made perfect sense. And so I just kind of kept developing that um, and was making presentations on it and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm gonna do, let me just kind of give you basics so you'll know what I'm talking about. And then I'll tell you how it wound up being a book. But I believe we all have a cup inside us somewhere. And of course, that's a pretend thing. And I have to explain that to my kids with autism because right away they're going to say, you do not have a cup in you. (laughs) 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 You We have a place where things go, things that make us mad, things that upset us, things that frustrate us, things that irritate us, things that surprise us, maybe disappoint us. There's a place where those feelings go. And most of us, as we grow up, we learn to recognize that even if we don't even think about it really we just kind of know yeah i've about had it right yes. i've had enough of this i'm gonna go do that for a little while i need to walk away you know we learn that our cup even though we don't know we have a cup we learn that our cup is starting to get too full and we need to go someplace and empty it yes what i believe is true about a lot of people and not just people on the autism spectrum but I believe a lot of people don't realize their cup is getting too full. So they don't step away and the cup just runs over. So my thought was, if we can figure out what's going in the cup of these kids and we can figure out what empties their cup and we can start using that information, teach them or teach ourselves first and then teach them Here's how you know your cup is getting too full. And before it runs over, let's get them out to do whatever those things are that helps them chill out. 
that's the plant in a nutshell. That's kind of what it is. You know, stuff happens. We need to be aware of that. And then we need to help you go empty your cup before you have to get somebody to go empty your cup. I mean, that's what I think that little boy was doing. He didn't know he was doing that. He wasn't planning that. But he had learned, if I hit them, they're going to get me out of here. That had become his escape mechanism. But he wasn't escaping because he didn't want to be there. He was escaping because he could not handle that anymore. Yeah, I can envision that. And I've I've seen kids like that over and over and over again, and my own son included. And so what a simple, great analogy to talk about sensory overload and the behaviors that come with that, right? I think that is just brilliant. Thank you. I I just, my only thing like this I've ever created, but I mean, it just makes sense and it has been so helpful to people. And so that's what I tell parents and I tell kids, I've explained this to five-year-olds. I talk to them about, you got a little cup, it fills up, blah, blah, And I say, what are some things that fill your cup? They can tell me. Mm-hmm. They can't tell me as many as their mama can tell me. You know, mamas know, yep, not enough to um, sleep at night or her little brother doing this or that or me telling her that. I mean, right? So I tell families, come up with the longest list of cup fillers that you can. You know, keep thinking about that. Every day, you're gonna, there's going to be something new. It's like, oh, yeah, that fills this cup. And then start thinking about what empties this cup. And I tell teachers, when you when this kid has some time on their own, what do they go do? Because what they're going to do is a cup emptier for them. Mm-hmm. If they go outside and they crawl into the tunnel where the slide is and they sit in that tunnel, they're emptying their cup. Yes. And I have I have seen that very thing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so figure out what it is. And I, and I tell the kids and they always think this is funny. I said, you need things you can do at home. You need things you can do at school. You need things you can do in the car on the bus. I said, if you love taking a long bath with lots of water, if that's a cup filler for you, that's awesome. But they're not going to let you do that at school. (laughs) And then they are, oh yeah, right. You know, I mean, that's just a silly thing. And, but they get it. So that's, that's how you work with that. And then a um, little harder to teach them how to know that their cup's getting too full. You just kind of have to keep working with that. And a lot of times parents can tell. Most parents know, yep, he's going to do this. And then when he starts doing that, you know, you got a very short amount of time before the meltdown's coming. Yeah. So, so what is the, the age range that this book and your workbook would, would be geared towards? Well, who have you written this for? What age groups? Parents can use this even with a two-year-old. Okay. The workbook that I wrote, I'm a cup kid. I wrote that for kids. I wrote it from the perspective of a cup kid. So there's a, there's a cup kid named Gary who wrote that book, right? Mm-hmm. So Gary's telling them how he figured out he was a cup kid and all of that sort of stuff and, and how he figured out what his cup fillers were and what his cup emptiers were and how his mom and dad helped him and his school counselor helped him and his teacher and all that sort of stuff. So it just kind of walks you through what you need to do, but it's from the child's perspective. Mm-hmm. Especially if we're talking about kids on the autism spectrum, a fourth or fifth grader could read that workbook with no problem at all, but they don't have the self-awareness to be able to do a good job of doing the strategy. So that's where moms and dads and teachers come in. You know, they need to be, even high school kids that are on the spectrum, a lot of them don't have the self-awareness. 
Right. So, yeah. You, I was just thinking that. With your child, but the grown-ups are going to have to be the ones to start working with this and help the child discover what's going on. Cause the goal always, I mean, my goal always is what's happening when they're 21, when they're 25, when they're 30, right. They're going to have to learn how to handle their cup for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're going to be independent. Yeah. And so that's always the goal, help them to be as independent as they can be and help them learn to manage their cup. So if I'm a cup kid and I know that being around a lot of people really fills my cup up, then I need to be very aware. If I'm going to an event where there are a lot of people around, I need to plan ahead and think when I start to feel like I'm getting a little wimp, where am I going? Can I go into the restroom and listen to my earbuds for a little while or get on my phone and look at something for a little, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And how am I going to calm myself down so that I can get back into the environment where there's, where there's more people than I like to be around. So that's how I really want people to start using this information. And it's just, um, you know, look at the day. I can tell, I can look at my day and say, yep, this part of the day is going to be a piece of cake. That one right there is going to be a stroll. Mm-hmm. Well, on the times that's a struggle, I need to be looking at those and see. I call them danger zones in the workbook. You know, that's a danger zone because there are a lot of cup fillers there. PE yeah. those danger zones for a lot of our kids, right? PE is horrible yes. for a lot of our kids. Oh, goodness, and, yes. And I think the reason that so many cup kids are on the autism spectrum is because so many things bother them that don't bother other people, like a lot of the sensory stuff. And there are kids that are not on the spectrum that have sensory issues. I, I understand that and I'm clear about that, but they're cup kids too, mm-hmm. right? Because there's just a lot going into their cup. But if I know that my child's got PE or my student, if PE's a, he's having meltdowns every day in PE, I need to be looking at PE. What specific to him, what cup fillers are going on during that period of time? Are there any of those we could get rid of? What other support does he need? Does he need a visual schedule that shows him we're going to do the warm up, then we're going to have a little lesson, then we're going to play a game? You know, whatever the format of the PE class is, if he could see that on the wall someplace, would that help him realize, okay, time is going back, going by, I'm not going to be in here forever, you know, that sort of thing. And is if it's still if we've done what we can do to be more supportive and to remove the things that we can remove, how long do we think it's going to be before his cup fills up? And then before that happens, we need to get him out. Yeah. To come out for five minutes or 10 minutes and empty his cup than for him to have a meltdown. Cause when he has a meltdown and you may have to explain this, help teachers be aware of this sometimes because they're like, well, I don't want him leaving my class all day. Well, think about it. Cause probably you do. When a kid has a meltdown in a classroom, it's not just that child that comes undone. The teacher comes undone and every kid in that classroom comes undone to some extent. And it takes a while. I mean, you can take the child who had the meltdown out, but it's going to take a good 15, 20 minutes for the teacher get really back completely in emotional control and for the other kids to get back to where they can participate in learning fully again. So if you look at it from that way, do you want to spend, lose 30 minutes of teaching time when he has a meltdown? Or do you want to let him quietly leave before the meltdown? 
go empty his cup for about 10 minutes and then quietly come back. Yeah, that is great. What a great practical tool you've created. And I think that this is really going to help parents right now, especially during this time. And could you share, just just give us one success story, because I love to offer hope and inspiration using the Cup Kid. What's one great success story you have? This is my favorite story. Had a little guy who was being raised by his grandmother, um, having a lot of meltdowns at school. There were a lot of things that were going in his cup, and he didn't have any idea how to handle that. So Anyway, he and I talked, grandmother had brought him. He was a a student that was coming for our social skills group, but I had them come just by themselves one day um, to talk about all this. And I explained the whole cup kid thing to them. And then he helped to come up with a list of things that were cup fillers. And of course, grandma added some things and, and we talked about cup emptiers. A lot of times things that are empty in kids' cups, your occupational therapist people know about, you know, it's um, proprioception and all that kind of stuff. Well, one of his things, just from different things he was telling me he liked to do, I'm like, yeah, he's one of those guys that likes that big muscle stuff. You know, bike riding would be good for him. Shooting hoops would be good for him. Going for a run would be good for him. Those sorts of things. Something with some joint compression kinds of stuff. And so I had him just get up and just jump up and down for a little while, just for, you know, 10 or 15 times and ask him, you know, did that help you feel better or not? And he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, okay, grandma, when y'all go home, you practice someone that, and you see him start getting irritated, have him jump, see how that works. So we talked about the whole thing. They went home. Her plan was to call the teacher, schedule an appointment and go and talk to the teacher about it, explain it all to her so that they could arrange a signal so that if he felt like he was getting upset, he could let the teacher know, or if the teacher could see he was getting upset, she could just have him go out in the hallway and jump or, you know, do something to go empty his cup. The next day, grandma called the teacher. Her conference time was toward the end of the day. So grandma called the teacher and said, I don't need to make an appointment. We've got this new strategy that we want to use. And I'm going to come and explain it to you. And the teacher says, oh, we're all over it. Said he told me about that first thing this morning. I made two cards, one for him, one for me, so he can give me the card if he feels like he needs to empty his cup, or I will give a card to him, and he goes out in the hallway, and he jumps for a little while, and then he comes back in. We've been doing that all day today, working like a charm. Mm, yeah. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I mean, it, I mean, I'm, it's so cool that it worked, but what a neat thing. He understood it so well that he could explain his teeth explain it all to his teacher. They had it put in place before grandma even called and talked to the teacher. I mean, I just love that. Now we have a kid self-advocating. So that just tells me that really was meaningful to him. Yes, I can see why that's one of your favorites. That is quite the success story because at the end of the day, we want our kids advocating for themselves, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so I, I love that. That's a great success story. So again, moms listening out there, this is, you know, offering you practical tools with the cup kid. And I know we're all searching for different practical strategies, because if you're in fact going to do the online learning, 
or you've decided to homeschool because going back into the classroom is just too too challenging. Um, what advice, what is something that they can use at home, the moms listening during COVID-19 to help them manage their child's behaviors that are most challenging for this new learning process? I think one of the biggest things that parents need to remember is if you are anxious, your child's going to be soaking that anxiety up and they're going to be more anxious too. Kids on the spectrum are more anxious than kids that are not on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah. And even though they may not be thinking about what you're thinking and they may have trouble with your perspective, they will feel what you are feeling. Most of the time, our kids are pretty sensitive. Yes. And so if you are anxious, you need to be really working on that for yourself because they're going to soak up anxiety from you. So I would be really careful about that. The other thing that I think is so important is using a visual schedule. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think, oh, we did that when he was younger, but we don't need that anymore. But they do need that because the visual schedule helps them to process what they're doing, what's coming next, how long things are going to happen. They can process so much more quickly what they can see than what they hear. That visual channel works so efficiently and effectively for kids on the spectrum that I would have a visual schedule even if you think they don't need it. Because mm-hmm. when their cup starts to get full, that visual schedule may be what saves your meltdown, right? Yes. And then yeah. one of the things that would be on that visual schedule is the times that they're going to get to go empty their cup. Yeah. Just build it into the schedule. Don't wait until it looks like they need to. Just build it in the schedule. There, you're, there's no problem with emptying it before it's about to run over, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I also like visual timers. If you have a child and you want to do something for a certain amount of time, a visual timer is good. Um, the regular timer that just dings when it's time, sometimes that makes our kids more anxious. Most kids on the spectrum don't have a good understanding that time is passing mm-hmm. or how much time is passing. And when you set a timer, it makes them more anxious because they're like, oh my gosh, I know it's fixing to go off, but I don't know, I don't know when it's going to go off. So it's always a surprise to them. But if you can, if you have a visual timer, um, the only brand I can think of right now, and it may be the only people that make them, I don't know, but it's time timer. You can okay. go to timetimer.com and it, you set it for your 10 minutes or whatever. So there's a chunk of red on that timer and the red goes away as the time goes away. So they can see how much time they have left. Mm, And that way, when the time is up, it's not a surprise. They've been able to see it coming. So that helps kids a lot. Um, And also the when then, that strategy, when you've done this, then you can do that. Mm -hmm. There are going to be things that they want to do. So instead of arguing about it, not now, not now or whatever, just say, okay, yep, you certainly can do that. But First, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. So when you have finished your math work, then you can watch that video or whatever. So, and, and that's, if you want to make a visual of that, that would be awesome as well. Just write it down. If they read, you just write. When math is finished, then watch the video. Mm-hmm. That helps a whole lot. Um, and I've scheduled plenty of time for them to engage in activities they enjoy but I would have small sessions. 
So if there are kids that love electronics, which most kids do, um, a 10 or 15 minute electronic time would be better than an hour. Because when they've been on for an hour, they do not want off. They don't want off in 10 or 15 minutes either. But it's easier to get them off when it's been a shorter session than when it's been a long session and they're really deeply into it. So that would probably be, those would be my top things. Yeah, that that's great. Um, I think every single one of these are essential. Um, as you know, I'm coaching autism moms. One of the things that I really loved that you started with was the anxiousness and how to release our anxiety as an autism mom, right? And how to empty our own cups. And so I think that 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 was really important uh, awareness and a great place to begin so that all these other uh, strategies and tools that you just mentioned are more effective because if you're anxious and your child's anxious, these other tools are going to be, aren't going to be as effective. So that's great. That is absolutely some awesome tools. So moms out there listening, yeah, let's work on that anxiety. Let's get you guys set up. Let's start using these essential tools at home. Great, great advice, Nancy. And Bridget, I loved what you just said about moms need to empty their cup. It's also good when moms say out loud in front of their child, whew, I need to go empty my cup. Give me five minutes and I'll be back. (laughs) I need to go empty my cup. Because now you're modeling that for your child and they're like, oh, even grownups have to go empty their cup, right? Yes. I mean, that's pretty powerful. So start talking, you know, just things you're thinking to yourself, start talking to them about those things sometimes. That's very helpful as well. Yeah, yeah. I love that, Nancy. Yes, I, I agree. I think that is a great a great way to mo- model it because, and I think it's just going to start being um, household terminology, right? Then we, everybody's helping each other. <laughs> Right. I love that. I love that. Um, what is your best, your very best advice for autism moms? I have a couple of best. One is focus more on what they can do than what they can't do. When we have a child who is not doing the things we think they should be doing by this age, we tend to focus way too much on that. Mm-hmm. There are a ton of things that your child is doing and doing quite well. So really spend, I mean, you need to work on the things they can't do. I get that. I'm not saying don't do that, but focus a lot on what they are doing well. See the strengths your child has, because those are going to be really important to continue to develop those skills. And another thing is that moms are kind of like interpreters. You need to be reinterpreting the world for your child. And this, this is back to talking about what you're thinking. There are things going on around your child that they're not aware of, you're aware of, because you're just, we do this without even knowing we're doing it. But if it's something that your child's not very aware of, like what somebody else might be thinking or what somebody might do next, or start talking to the, about those things. Start saying those things out loud to your child. Help them to see what the rest of the world sees and how the rest of the world is going to react. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you're at the restaurant eating and you take off your shoes and socks and are picking at your toenails, I wonder, and you would wonder this at well, I 
wonder what those people sitting over at the other table think about that. Mm -hmm. And I know something that I tell to kids all the time is, do you see anybody else doing that? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. if you're the only one doing something, you probably should not be doing it. So that's something I would say. And the other thing I would encourage moms with, your children need somebody to be honest with them about the things that they're doing that's annoying. For instance, talking too much. Bridget, you mentioned that that earlier. If you have a child who will talk your ears off, no one else is going to put up with that except mama. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But mama, you need to be honest and tell your child, you've talked about that too long. I'm getting bored with that. I'm not interested in that. Look at my face. This is how my face looks when I've lost interest. Make that be a teachable moment. This is how my face looks when I'm really excited in what you have to say, right? Moms a lot of times hesitate to do that because it's like I'm going to hurt his feelings. Yeah, that's it. If you will say it as a teaching thing and not as a fussing or a graphing thing, it won't hurt their feelings. And your children desperately need to know this. You can be honest and be nice. The world is going to be honest, but be mean. Mm-hmm. They're just going to walk away or they're going to tell, you know, the other kid on the playground or wherever is going to tell your child, shut up. Golly, you've been talking about this forever. Just shut up. And then they're not going to hang around them anymore. Mm-hmm. It's much better coming from somebody who loves them and has their best interest at heart. So teach them how to notice those kinds of things. Talk about it mm-hmm. so that you can lovingly tell them those things that they're not aware of that other people are going to be annoyed with. Yeah, that feels like tough love with love. <laughs> you yeah. know, just yeah. uh, love and kindness and patience and bringing awareness to that behavior. You bet. I love that. Is there anything you would like to mention before we go that you haven't had a chance to? Yes. One, I would like to encourage the moms that are listening to just stand strong. Being a mom is hard, period. Being a mom of a child with autism is very hard, but just stand strong and and then help your child find their thing that they know that they're good at and cultivate that. And that's not anything you ever should take away as a punishment. Mm. Now, and, and let me clarify this. I'm not talking about they love video games and they will play video games 24-7. I'm not set some limits on that because video games are very addictive and it will suck your kid's brain out. So that's another whole talk probably. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, if there's something that your child loves, encourage them to do it, help them to do it, and then try to hold that, even if you put some limits on it, try to hold that as something that they get to do. Because, and the reason I'm saying this, the things your child really likes and they're good at that's where their self-esteem comes from and there are a lot of things that are very hard to do when you have autism they have to learn a lot more things than students who don't have autism their day is more tiring because they are working 
so hard to focus, pay attention, to sit still, to not <clears throat> do the things that are going to make people have weird thoughts about them, right? Yes. What they're good at, we need to cultivate because when things are really hard, they have that thing that at least I'm good at this. They mm. have something to feel like, yeah, I'm good at this. Matter of fact, I'm, I probably know more about World War II than anybody else I know. Right? I mean, those are that's our kids. Yes. Now, are they going to get to talk about World War II nonstop? No. But mm-hmm. still, they know this is my wheelhouse. I'm good at this. And so that's the just help help them to find their thing because that's going to be their self-esteem where they build their self-esteem and that's going to be a guard for them and the meanness that the world throws at all of us. Mm. Yeah, I love that. You know, it it makes sense why they <laughs> their self-esteems are generally very low and I think it's because everything you just said because they're they're trying to figure out so many different things and most of the time they're not hitting it. So when they do hit something, I I so agree with that. That's that's really important for us to remember as moms because we're also so busy trying to figure it out, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's great, Nancy. I love that. So tell us where can people go to find out more about your work and also to connect with you. Okay. Well, um, I'm on uh, Behavior Plus has a Facebook page. So that would be one one place. Um, my email address is nancy at behaviorplus.com. And I welcome people to, if you've got questions or something that you're really having a hard time with, you can contact me there. And actually, if any of the listeners contact me at nancy at behaviorplus.com and mention that they heard this podcast, I will be happy to send them a PDF that has kind of the basics of the Cupkid strategy and mm-hmm. how that works. I would, would love to send that out to them so that they have that information in their hands. I love so that. In my website, hello, behaviorplus.com. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy the Cupkid book from there, but I'm sorry, I don't have the I'm a cup kid workbook there, but if you send me an email about that, I can send you one. So, I mean, we'll, we'll work out PayPal payment for that or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love the, the incentive for anyone who listened to this episode to go ahead and contact you and then they get a, a resource um, that is so important uh, right now for the, how the cup kid works and how to apply it. I love that, Nancy. All right. I I can't tell you how many notes that I took this. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is so good. Ooh, that's so good. So um, thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing all your knowledge and your expertise to help, really help all of us living with autism, but especially to the mother guides who are listening right now. So thank you very much. You are so welcome. And Bridget, I am so happy and so pleased that you're doing what you're doing because mm-hmm. mothers do need somebody to help them walk through this. I mean, it's 
it's a scary thing. Another advice I would give is stay off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't believe everything you read on the internet about kids with autism. But no, thank you so much for the time that you put into this and how you're connecting these moms and um, helping to guide them through their journey. I mean, I just, I have such respect for you for that. That's awesome. And I am honored to be able to be here and to help you on your mission with that. Um. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. And I feel, I feel that it's awesome to hear. So thank you for saying that. And I, I know that it's heartfelt as well. So um, yeah, we're all doing this for, for the, the higher, higher cause, which is helping um, anyone who's living on the autistic spectrum have a, a happier, hopeful and inspired life. So thank you, Nancy. Yes, ma'am. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and share it on social media. You can download my free guide, Five Things I Wish I Knew Raising My Son with Autism, by going to my website, bmvlifecoach.com. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Mother's Guide Through Autism, to get support. I'm sending you all hope and love. Thanks so much for listening.